Well, last week I uh, gave all of us some good news and some bad news. And if you didn't get a chance to check out that particular uh, teaching, you can do so by going on the app or also uh, by going on uh, our website. But if you remember, for those of you that were here, I said that I had some uh, good news. And do you remember what the good news was? The good news was what? We're rich. That's right. You're rich. And uh, we said that compared to the rest of the world, uh, those of us in the United States are very rich, that if you have a car, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in all the world. And uh, I also, though, said, hey, we've got some bad news, too, that I need to give to you. And what was the bad news again? The bad news is? Yeah, you're rich. The bad news is you're rich, too, because what happens is, is that the more that we continue to have and gain more wealth, we have a tendency to kind of uh, just have more dependence on our stuff and not be as dependent upon God. Now, today, what I want to talk to you about is the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. One day Jesus tells a story in which there was a farmer who was sowing some seed. And as the farmer is sowing some seed, the seed falls on the ground and the plants begin to grow. And then he uses it as a metaphor, but he uses these words by saying that the deceitfulness of riches choked out the plants. That The deceitfulness of riches choked out the spiritual growth that was taking place. And that's what riches can do sometimes. It can actually choke out our growth. Now, uh, the reality is, is that all of you have gone to a place before, I guarantee, where there is growth that takes place, but the growth sometimes is what I call bacteria. Um, how many of you have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese before? Raise your hand. Okay, you've experienced hell as well. Okay. Um, basically, what Chuck E. Cheese is, is this chaotic, loud place where there's pizza and there's kids running around everywhere. There's sweat flying everywhere. And once you're done with your sweaty pizza, you go to this arcade. And it's there where you start to play the games. And your hope is, is that you will win what? Does anyone know? Tickets. We all want the tickets. You want the tickets, don't you? I want the tickets. You want the tickets. And before long, we start believing that if I just get enough tickets, I'm going to get something in my life that is going to change my life for eternity. And pretty soon our kids are not getting enough tickets. And so what do we do? We push the kids aside. And we start playing skee-ball, right? And you start doing it as much as you can because you know that's where you get the most tickets. And you're like, let the master show you now. And you start doing all of the skee-balling yourself. And the tickets come out. And pretty soon you get all of these tickets. 759 tickets. And you're like... I finally arrived. And so you go to claim your prize and you take your 759 tickets. But all of the tickets that you have, all of these are only going to gain you this. And you get this dinky little trophy. 
and you think to yourself, that's it for 759 tickets? But if you're male in your head, you start thinking, we are the champions, my friends. And Queen is like right there. And you're holding up this dinky thing that only this was able to provide for you. And there are so many times in your life and so many times in my life where we just think if we get enough tickets, I'll be happy. And it's the deceitfulness of the tickets. Well, when we become adults, what happens is is that the tickets become something very different. The tickets begin to start looking like this. And we think to ourselves that if we just have enough of these tickets, that everything in our life is going to be fine. That these tickets will provide happiness. These tickets will provide security. These tickets will provide significance in our lives. But what we need to recognize, folks, is that no matter how many of these tickets you have, they are very, very deceitful and they will eventually lie to you. And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning. This is your first fill-in, either in the program or on the app, and it's this. The world wants you to serve money. The world wants you to serve the tickets. That's what the world wants. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then look at what Jesus says next. It's so powerful. Let's all read this bolded last verse together. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's say it again. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, the reality is is that we think that This right here, if we have enough of these, that everything in life will be fine. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, it's very likely that you'll try to serve this because this is the number one competitor for your heart. And why is money such an attractive false god? Why is it so attractive to us? Because money promises something that only God can provide. What does money promise? Well, a couple of things. The first thing that money promises is happiness. That if you just have enough of this, you will be happy. And then secondly, it promises to us that if you have enough of this, that you'll be secure. If you just have enough tickets, if you just have enough money, you will be secure. So, we go through life and we think to ourselves, well, if I just had the iPhone 13 Pro, then I would be happy. If I just had a bigger screen TV, then I would be happy. If I just had new countertops, mine stink, then I would be happy. If I just had some new cabinets, then I would be happy. If we just had one more bathroom in our house or our apartment, ah, 
I would be so happy. If I just had more tickets, then I would be happy. But you need to realize that true joy does not come in the tickets. True joy only comes from God. The same is true with security. We think that if we just have enough, that it will solve our problems. I can buy my way out of my problems. But as soon as you have a big stack of money and someone you love gets really, really sick, you realize that no matter how many stacks of this that you have, that it cannot bring healing to that person. You realize that money promises something that it actually cannot deliver on. Only God can provide ultimate security. Folks, again, the world wants all of you to serve money. It wants you to serve money. Now, most of us would say, well, I would never serve money. I would never love and serve money. I just wouldn't do that. But the reality is, you do. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever bought something that you didn't need with money that you didn't have to impress somebody that you didn't even like? Huh? Yeah, we've all been there before. You are under, in that moment, the power of money. If you've ever downloaded a song, or if you've ever downloaded a movie without paying for it. If you've ever taken your seven-year-old to get free dinner, and you told them, say you're five. Or you've ever gone to Kings Island before and you wanted the price discount. And so you said, oh yeah, they're 12, when the reality is they're 14. What you've done in the midst of that is you have sold your integrity out for more of a stack. For more tickets. Because you believed that money could provide something that only God can ultimately provide. Let's go back to the scripture that we've been looking at uh, last week and throughout the series, we will. If you remember, the guy who wrote it was a guy by the name of Paul. He wrote close to half of the New Testament. And he's writing to one of his mentees, a guy by the name of Timothy. And as he's writing to them, he says, when you're talking to rich people, and who are the rich people again? Just look at the person beside you, okay? That's the rich person and the person in your seat. That we are talking to rich people that this is what you need to remind them. You need to say to them these words when you're talking to rich people, Timothy. And remember, you know why you're rich, right? If you made $1,225 all of last year, you're in the top 50% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you made $34,000 as a whole household... Last year, you're in the top 1% of the people of the world. So we're talking to rich people. And Paul said, when you're talking to rich people, Timothy, tell them this. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to what? Let's read it together. What's it say? Put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? In God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We don't put our hope 
in our wealth. We don't put our hope in what our stack is. Instead, we put our hope in God. Verse 18 goes on to say this. Command them to do what? To do, to do good. To be rich in what? Good deeds. And to be what? Generous and willing to share. We know it is important for us to take some of these and to do good with them. The problem is, is that the world tells you that you should just serve yourself. Consume all of this for yourself. In fact, the world would say, take this and be tight-fisted. Hold it tightly in your hand. Do not give it away and keep it close to yourself. And God says, no, be open-handed. And every single day that you walk through your life, you either choose, I'm going to be a tight-fisted person with what I have, or I'm going to be generous with what I give. Am I going to do good and good works and be generous and willing to share, or will I be tight-fisted? The choice is up to you. Now, for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is share with you three problems That people who love and serve money, who love and trust money, have issues with. And many of you will be like, well, I'm not even going to look at this. No, no, no. You should look at it because I'm guilty of giving into these problems. And I bet you're going to see yourself in one or more of these as well. And so here's the first problem for people who love and trust money. They never have enough. They never have enough. So if I ask you, are you satisfied with what you have? Are you satisfied with your income? And you were kind of like, no, I'm not. I'd like to have more. Just a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. Well, if that's you, that's an indication, folks. That you're a person who has a tendency to love and serve money. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10, Solomon, who was the richest man ever, he was wealthier than Gates, he was wealthier than Jobs, he was wealthier than any Saudi Arabian prince, the wealthiest person who ever walked planet earth, he directly said this, and if he could say it, anyone could. If anyone could say it, he would. And this is what he said. Whoever loves money... And let's read these next three words out loud. What's it say? Never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is what? Never satisfied with their income. This is the bottom line, folks. If you love it, if you trust it, you will never be satisfied. And what will happen to you is what happened to me. Uh, When Jennifer and I first got married... Uh, I was the breadwinner of the family, and we made $16,000. That's it. We had two apartments, and we just barely made it. I'll talk about it more next week. And I thought in my mind, I remember saying this out loud to Jennifer. You know what, Jen? If we ever get $40,000, we'll have enough. We will absolutely have enough. And six years went by, and uh, she finally uh, uh, graduated from medical school. She started her residency, and we hit the $40,000 mark. 
And I was like, this is great. This is it. This is all that we need. And then we had kid number one, and then we had kid number two. And then I thought to myself, no, we need more. We need more. We do not have enough. We do not have enough. Because people who love and serve money, like I have in my life before, are never really satisfied. They never really feel like they have enough. Here's another thing about people who love and trust money. They find it increasingly difficult to give big. They find it increasingly difficult to actually give big. You know, study after study, you can read any study you want. Study after study, this is what they show. Actually, the more wealth that you gain, the smaller percentage you give. The more money you gain the smaller percentage you get. You see, the reality is, if you had $10 and let's say you were going to tithe, if it's just $1, you're like, no problem. I can give $1. The problem is, is when you get a stack and then all of a sudden you have to give $1,000 or $10,000 or something more than that, then all of a sudden you're like, ah, not so sure about that. Don't get in my grill. Now, it was no problem to do the percentage giving when you had it with $10 and you gave one. It's just the struggle became when it became more than that. Because the more that we have, the less percentage we actually get. Now, there are exceptions to that. Some of you are that exception. You're very generous with your finances. And God is grateful for that. But again and again, on average, the bigger the stack that we have, the lower percentage we get. And the thing is, the smaller the stack, statistics show us that people actually give more. And do you know why they do that? Because they know the stack's not going to get them out of trouble. The stack's not going to do anything for them. So they don't worry about what the stack is. They put their dependency not upon the stack, but upon God himself. One day, Jesus told a story about a very poor widow who uh, went into the temple. And that was the church of their day. And there were a lot of rich people that were around. And they're all giving their offering. And everyone gives their offering. And then this widow comes up and she gives a meager, small, puny amount, two pennies. That's what biblical scholars think she gave. She gave the two pennies. And other people were giving more, and Jesus is watching all this. But she gave everything that she had, all that she had. And the scripture says that Jesus turned and said, she gave more than anyone else. You know what's so amazing is to think about all the rich people that were there. All these rich people had a lot to give, and they held back. But This little woman who was a widow who had nothing, she gave everything she had because she knew she didn't have a stack. So she would just put her entire dependency upon God and she put all in. She put everything in. All the chips were in. Folks, I know it's crazy. It's crazy to me. But the more you actually make the more difficult it is for you to actually give big. Just after Christmas, I got a card from a lady in our church who has been on disability for much of her life, very, very meager means. And she wrote this card to me and she said, thank you so much 
for sending a Christmas card. Uh, we do that. If people send us one, we send them one. And she sent us one, so we sent one back. And she goes, I love your family. And uh, she said, I just forgot to give my offering, and I wanted to give it to you. And so when I opened up the little check that was in there, I opened it up, and it was for $6. And my entire world was rocked. This woman literally has nothing. And she wrote a $6 check. A couple days went by. She sent me another card. And this is what she wrote on this card. I apologize, Pastor Chris. I misfigured. I'm positive. After double-checking my checkbook, I didn't pay a tithe. Ten percent on $500 that someone anonymously gave to me. I want to honor God with my tithe. So here is a check for $50. And this lady has nothing, people. No matter how difficult your day is today, believe me, you are not living the life that this lady is living. And she gave everything. And again, my mind was blown. So it was the last week of December. And I'm getting convicted. And I'm like, we're going to give a big gift, Jen. We're going to give some big gifts this year. And she's like, slow down, cowboy, slow down. And I said, no, 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 we're going to give something big. She's like, good, what are we going to give? And so we figured out exactly what we were going to give. And we decided that quarterly we were going to give this large amount. And we decided that's what we're going to do. Well, shortly after that, uh, I was walking down this aisle right here, and there was a mom with two small kids. And I walked up to her, and she said, hey, Pastor Chris, could you pray for us? And I said, sure, no problem. And she said, well, could you pray? Because my husband didn't pay his child support this month, and it's kind of tough. So we pray that, would you pray that he would either come through or that God would come through in a great way? And I said, sure, no problem. So I took her hands, and we prayed, and... Done with the prayer, I walk down, I come back up onto the stage, I go into the green room, and I would love to tell you that I did the right thing, but I didn't. But I felt this prompting from God, and God said, why don't you be the way, Chris? And this is what I thought in my head initially. Well, God, we've kind of been the way. You know, like we had that big thing, that big offering. We were big. We said we're going above and beyond our tithe. We're going to give something big away. And so we're willing to do this, God. We're willing to do this. Uh, Do you remember that? That was for the kingdom too, God. Do you remember that? And I just felt God say, Chris, be the way. And I don't do this all the time because some of you will come up to me afterwards and you'll do this. (laughs) But on that particular day, I went and I took everything that I had that was in my wallet. I found where the lady was and I gave it to her on that day because on that day I was the way. We'll talk about it next week. Spontaneous giving is very important, but if you don't strategically give regularly, you'll rarely give spontaneously. Let me say that again. If you don't strategically give regularly, you almost never will do spontaneous giving. Well, that was Kind of it. Because this is what I had in my mind. Those two letters that this woman with disability had sent me convicted me so much 
that I said, I am not going to be outgiven by a woman on disability who has a very small stack. I have a per- I'm a person who has a bigger stack. And I will not choose to be outgiven by them. Because the bottom line is this, folks. You're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, folks, you are stinking filthy rich. And I am too. No, often what people will say, I hear it all the time, I bet you've said it to yourself before, I'll give when. You ever hear that before? People say, I'll give when. When I get the raise, when I get the credit card bill paid off, when I get the car payment taken care of, when I get the job that I need, then I will give. No. We say no. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're going to give on the front side. We're going to be generous because God has blessed us with so much and we are rich. Folks, here's the bottom line. We don't serve money. Who do we serve? We serve God. He generously provides. He'll provide everything as we choose to serve him. So people who love and trust money never have enough. They increasingly find it difficult to give big. And then third, finally, uh, is this, and some of this might be your heart today. People who love and trust money have money in the bank, but no peace in their hearts. They have money in the bank, they just have no peace in their hearts. Or we could say toys in the garage, or they have clothes in the closet, but they just don't have peace in their hearts. Solomon, again, that richest guy, richer than Gates, richer than Jobs, the Saudi princes, said this in Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better how much? Uh, what? A little with the fear of the Lord than what? Great wealth with turmoil. Let's read this verse out loud together all in one voice. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and turmoil. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's better to have a little with a lot of God than to have a lot with no God. Let me say that again. It's better, folks. It's absolutely better to have a little with a lot of God than to have a lot of stack and have no God. The first church that I pastored uh, was in a rural community in Carroll County, Indiana, the largest pork producing county in Indiana. There are more hogs than people in that county. And uh, in that county, uh, there was the wealthiest farmer who was in the county went to our church. He didn't really go to church, but the family was a part of the church. His name was Vernon. And Vernon had tens of thousands of acres of land. And he had thousands of hogs, more than people in the county. And he had all of these homesteads, and he would rent them out, and then he would gain even more money. But at the end of the life, uh, at the end of his life, his brain had really malfunctioned to the point where they diagnosed him with Alzheimer's. And at the end of his life, when I'd go and visit him, he never said a single word. But his wife 
was very, very concerned about his salvation. And so I started talking to her and I found out very quickly that Vernon never had a relationship with God. He had a relationship with money. He served money very well. The problem was at the end of his life, it just didn't serve him very well. And what was ironic is every time that I would visit him, no one else was there. There was no friends, no family, no farmhands. It was always me and his wife, me and his wife, me and his wife. That's it. And then a couple church people on the weeks I didn't visit, they would go visit him. And he was a very lonely man. But he had, folks, a gigantic stack. He had a huge stack. And as I visited with him, I soon learned that he had chosen to spend his entire life ignoring and neglecting his family and the people around him to gain more money. And guess what, folks? He succeeded. He had tons of money at the end of his life. But at the end of his life, his great wealth had only created turmoil and he had no peace. Today, there are many of you who are in this auditorium and there are many of you that are on the stream right now. And this is the truth. You think that money will solve your problems. That if I just had a little more money, it would answer the problems in my life. And you are under the power of money. Folks, more money, more money, more money. No matter how much money you get, it is never enough and it will never solve your problems. More money will not create healthier relationships. More money will not create Healing for a loved one that you know that has cancer. More money will not make you happier. More money will not make you more secure. And today I believe, because I've tried to teach it as well as I could, that with the power of the Holy Spirit, that some of you are recognizing, maybe for the first time in your life, that the deceitfulness of riches really does choke out my life. And maybe for some of you, rather than consuming everything, today's the day where you're like, I'm going to live below my means. Rather than wanting more, you're actually going to be content with what you have. And then to give to God and to give to others. Folks, all of us have a stack. Some of us have... More of a stack than others. But this is what I want you to know. Your stack will not, cannot provide you the happiness and the security that God can. A surrendered life to Christ is what gives you the greatest joy, the greatest happiness that you can have. And so this week, I would challenge you not to be a person who holds so tightly and to be a person that is tight-fisted, but to be open-handed. Because when we live like that, we don't live for the deceitfulness of riches that chokes us out, but we're able to live a better life. And that's what I hope 
each of you will choose this week. We're going to live a better life because God has more in store for you when you don't serve money, but you serve him. Let's pray. God, each time that I teach on money, which is just one series a year, it's always difficult for me, God. And the more I realize it, it's because sometimes, God, it takes my heart as well. I have to be very, very disciplined and committed. You know this, God, in this area of my life. And maybe for other people, it brings up emotions as well. The truth is, I know because I've done this long enough, some people are like, ah, great, I came to church today and we talked about money. But Lord, I pray that for some folks, they would be convicted enough to go, I can leave from here either being tight-fisted or open-handed, and I want to change. I want to do that today. God, would you help us as a church to know how to be generous with what we have and to live less than our means? Because, God, you have blessed us with more than we need. So, God, would you forgive us for those times that we have tried to serve and love and trust in money? Would you forgive us, God, when we just want more and more and more? And today, if you want to love and trust God more than money, if you want God to help you to overcome that temptation to do that, to have money consume you, then with every eye bow, no one looking around, if you just raise your hand and say, yep, I really do, I want to serve God more than I do money. If you just raise your hand, let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your presence and your word. God, would it do a deep work in my heart, in each heart here. We need it. I need it. Help us, God, to serve you more than serving the things of this world. Help us to be content with what we have. And help us to be rich, God, in what matters most. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hand down. You know, for some of you, you may be thinking, well, I've been trying to have this relationship by doing a lot of good works. That you haven't really had a relationship with God, but you think, well, if I do some good things, then that'll get me closer to God. I remember when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I used to think that if I went to church, if I threw in some money every once in a while, if I didn't cuss for one week... That God would love me, he'd care for me, that I could have a relationship with him. And I kept thinking I had to work up this ladder of morality for him to have a relationship with me. And I thought that's what it meant. And I soon found that wasn't what it was about. You see, Jesus Christ came and he said, I want you to know it's not about acquiring more or getting up a ladder of doing whatever to get to me but it's you simply surrendering to me. That you would give your one and only life to me. And I would forgive you of all of your sins. Every stain, every spill, everything would be removed and resolved. And I was thinking today that maybe for some of you, you're ready to make that commitment, that trust. 
to say, I want him in my life. I need him in my life. I need God's love. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his stain remover in my life. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself. It's one that we pray together in community together. And I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me if you feel comfortable. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Because you died for me, I choose to live for you. I want new life. That is truly life. I receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen.